Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. All right. The question was, um, what do you get or take or out of Eckhart Tolle's thinking? Because we've posted some uh, videos. Um, and over the years, we've made some mandatory listening um, on our Facebook page. And even individually, I have sent other videos to people. Um, well, let's just cut to the chase. Um, we can go back to Musashi's book where he, he, uh, advised that when you understand the way you will see the way in all things. Um, or we can go to the theosophical uh, early origins to and base for a lot of Aikido acting as a technology of the self so such that the Theosophical Society saw a universality in various mystical traditions, right? Um, and so I don't think that somebody who is practicing Aikido or Budo, uh, particularly if you're in this lineage, should start looking at things in an exclusionary way. In fact, you might want to see how you can observe and contact what is universal in all teachings. I think you'll have uh, a more marker, a, a more authentic marker that you're actually understanding things. Um, the second groundwork here is I don't, and I don't think Tolle would say that he's discovered some way. I don't think he would say that. I think he would agree that he's, he is just... Uh, making contemporary some ancient teachings, and that is not at all different, uh, you know, different from what I have said. I feel I am doing with this dojo experiment. Um, that there are these ancient texts, there are these ancient practices. It's true that the texts have, from my perspective, been misunderstood over the centuries. And the practices have degenerated over the centuries. Um, but what I am doing is not a, an eruption of genius, uh, some sort of spontaneous manifestation of a new truth. It's more of an archaeology of sorts where I'm uncovering this ancient truth and just having it make sense for us modern people. And I think Tolle would 
would agree with that position and that he he's not coming up with a a new better form of buddhism or christianity per se but he's uncovering some of the things that over the centuries have taken either a back seat or have been completely forgotten um, such that those traditions might not function in the way that the ancient truths associated with them had presumed it would. And that process, that adaptation process is, well, you are adapting it for the current audience. So you're bringing it up to date, so to speak. So whatever he's saying, I would say it is very consistent with uh, Buddhism is very consistent with, but you, but not the Buddhism where you uh, will pay like two hundred dollars and sit in an amphitheater on a university campus so you can hear the uh, exiled political leaders, you know, talk about things. That no, that would not be it. However, the message would be similar, right? Uh, the same thing with, uh, it's not going to be inconsistent with the heart of Christianity, but would not be uh, consistent with a kind of uh, hardcore exclusionary uh, Christianity where you will condemn and treat people as if they're going to hell uh, and, be, and therefore are inferior to you because they did not claim allegiance, almost politically again, to this teacher. Not that Christianity. But the Christianity of love and forgiveness and acceptance to the point where you cease to have an enemy because you only have love, right? So you love your enemy then there is no enemy. And that's very much like Aikido, right? I, I, I dissolve the conflict model because I don't conflict with the attacker. So very consistent with that. So what, what does he... What does he say as he's adapting these ancient truths to the modern audience um, that I find helpful, that, such that I would share them and use them as pointers for your own practice. Um, I think, you know, the work that kind of put him on the map is that book on the now. Uh, we, we in the dojo, we talk about being present. We talk about not being unconscious. Well, well, what does that mean? It means be in the now. Whenever you go unconscious, like in the class we just had, when you, don't, you can't tell what your other hand is doing, it's because you're traveling. You're mentally, emotionally traveling, either into the future or into the, pre, into the past. You're not in the now. If you were in the now, then you would see and know what your offhand or your support hand is doing or not doing. Do you see that? Um, I think that is a fantastic and profound way of updating 
the problem of consciousness or mindfulness or awareness for modern people who have had decades, maybe a whole century, maybe more, depending on where you are, of not understanding that they have been raised upon a division of mind and body that is completely arbitrary at a minimum, but from certain perspectives, entirely false. So we have people going around who, who just do not know that they have a, a mind and a body that cannot be separated from each other. They actually believe that they're one or the other. And this is where you get contemporary notions where your mind, well, where's your mind for these people? It's in your brain, and it's as mechanical as your biceps. Right? They're, they're making their minds up as part of their body. Well, ancient man was like, what are you talking about? If you, if you take an ancient man and you, you propose that to him, he's going to go, hey, let's cut open a brain and I want you to pull the mind out. Because I can cut open an arm and I can pull the biceps out. And the closest we get to that is we hook brains up to these electronic devices that show electronic activity. <laughs> it's ridiculous that we have become satisfied with that. We go like, uh, well, you see, uh, this part of the brain is associated with communication. Well, how do you know that? Because there was an electronic pulse. What the fuck does that? I bet there's electronic pulses all throughout the body as you're doing that. Did you do that? You never see that. This, the science has no follow-through. Let's check for electronic pulses everywhere as I have you think about this. I, it would just be... Isn't that such a simple experiment to do? But no one's doing it because the assumption was already that your mind, you the thinker, is in your brain and only in your brain. Forget the assumption that it's somehow it's, it's a one-to-one -one ratio with electricity. So we have a whole bunch of people that are, do not know that there's, a, there, there's aspects of ourselves and not all aspects are, are direct correlation with the body. That's, that's paramount because, as we were saying yesterday, the, the consciousness of, the, of a human being has a capacity to generate what that phrase we used yesterday, which is a metacognition. So I can be in the midst of a particular situation. Let's say, as using yesterday's example, somebody is saying something to me that's making me angry. And so all my emotions will kick off and my ideas will start running and I'll have a physiological response, right? But at the same time as that is occurring, my consciousness can actually become 
let's call that A, that whole process A, there is an aspect of human consciousness that can be non-A and actually be capable of observing all of that phenomena as it is occurring. Do, do you get that? Well, there are, the overwhelming majority of the current population has no idea that that is possible. They do not know that when they're doing the A response or the A phenomena, that it's happening to them and it doesn't need to be happening to them. Nor do they know that there is a part of them upon which it can never happen. Now, those two added elements are complicated as hell. This is where in Buddhism you get all those damn lists I tell you to ignore, right? The 108 forms of consciousness with the 108, and it just keeps going and going. And people make a fetish out of it, and they just start memorizing the list. And you're like, you're at 48 consciousness. Are you sure? Maybe it's 49. I'm thinking it's 50. Maybe it's like 50.5. It's a very complicated psychology at a minimum. And so a very simple way of getting people to understand this process is to look at the process mechanically. You're going to look at it and go structurally what is in place for that process to to manifest itself, to occur. And one of the things that you'll see is this unconscious time traveling. Again, if you you saw the, the old list, the old Buddhist list, you would find the one. Oh, it's right here, 39, time traveling. It's, it's not going to be that simple, but it's something like that. And if you go back into uh, ancient mystical traditions, you'll have admonishments and caveats about be careful of time traveling in one form or another. So for me, to become separate from that non-A phenomena to just exist in the A phenomena, right? My anger, my uh, elevated blood pressure, my reactivity, my triggeredness. This kind of unconscious time traveling has to happen. So for example, I'm being triggered because what you say will either threaten me according to some future that I perceived like, oh my gosh, if, this, if more people find out that you think I'm an asshole, that is going to ruin my chances for this promotion. You just time traveled into the future. Psychologically, it manifests itself as anxiety in contemporary terms. The ancient mystic would go like, why do you got to name it? 
but just for our contemporary audience, you, you now have, you now practicing anxiety traveling forward in the A phenomenon. But maybe it triggers me and it goes back to the time I was a teenager. Right? And maybe I, I was interested in this, this girl and I wanted to impress her. And some bullies were by and they were like, don't, don't like that guy. He's a total asshole. And it triggers me that way. So that's what I'm actually thinking about when you do it. It like just sparks that whole memory and that whole narrative, that biography that I have made in my in my mind that explains why I'm so insecure nowadays. Well, who wouldn't be insecure if that happened to you? But I went into the past. Psychologically, it's what we would call a manifestation of depression. Again, the ancient mystic would go, why do you got to name it? Just fucking stop traveling. So one very easy way to solve this problem is stop traveling, like the mystic said. Well, what does that mean? Just be here now. Right now, they said, you're an asshole. It has absolutely no effect. It's just a sound. Without traveling forward and backwards in time, either in my manufactured history and biography that explains me now, or some negative thing I'm trying to avoid before it even manifested itself. It's just a sound. It's no different from any other sound that I would hear. And you can, at a certain degree, this is where I might veer and why I'm not under and following Tole right now, why he's not my direct mentor. It will function within a very large percentage of our daily life to just remind ourselves intellectually, stay present. Stay in the now. In, in the very moment that you tell yourself, stay in the now, you are now manufacturing or manifesting non-A phenomena. Because there's an aspect of yourself that is not entirely engaged in the A phenomena. Do you understand that? There's a part of you that is now practicing metacognition. And by that, you are starting to free yourself from the mechanisms of reactivity and being triggered. And as a result, the suffering that you feel, the emotional suffering on that spectrum between depression and anxiety the dread you're hoping to avoid, 
and the emotional scars that you have kept in place as you opted to work with some biography, some historical fiction of you, it all loses power. It just stops working. It's like an engine, and I take out the one piece that is needed for that engine to run. That's what the now does. So your question focused on the pain body. Again, the pain body, to me when I hear him, is he's talking about that historical fiction we make. It can't seem to be made without the sensation of pain. Like all those wounds we have, all those, all those times in our actual history where we could not stay in the now, our body-mind will start assimilating it almost as, a, as an analogy to any kind of other injury you suffer. So you get this kind of scar tissue and a reduction in mobility and we will protect it. But this is happening at a psychological, emotional level. Again, people do not know this today because they don't realize that They are, they are kokoro, that they cannot divide the mind and the body. So they walk around with these scars and they believe that, uh, well, of course there's scars. But it's not true. Just like any injury of, to, your, to your leg, to, let's say to your, you, you pull a hamstring and it's really bad and you know, you start living your life according to that hamstring pull you suffered. So you're going to take some time off the mat, you're going to take some anti-inflammatories and w- what will happen is you'll reduce your range of motion because you're not using it, it weakens. Scar tissue comes in, your body goes, I guess you don't want to move it, so let me just reinforce it with this scar tissue. And now you actually, in your attempts to heal, you actually made yourself more injury prone. And this is kind of what we do at an emotional level with the pain body. And the pain body manifests because I didn't practice the now. I practice instead this collection. I become a collector, a hurt harvester. And I cannot separate myself from that. I, that is me. So anybody who is currently trying to practice now, presence, is going to find it very hard to do because they cannot separate themselves from that biography of pain. 
So you're going to have to talk sooner or later about that. If, if, if that is the, the core of your teaching, talking and thinking, we address what can be called a pain body, but we, don't, we, we might talk and think about it like we are now, but that's not addressing it. And this is where I veer because I don't sell tickets for you to come. Because I don't think it works. It works at a certain point, right? It works at a point to where you can intellectually manifest non-A phenomena. But that's very limited. Right? So the example that we used is yesterday, you, you might feel yourself being triggered because the plumber, you, know, you learn from your wife that the sink can't be fixed because it's Saturday and the plumber won't come out on Saturday. So you feel your blood pressure go and your pulse go, right? And you catch yourself. Ooh, I'm being triggered. Okay, well, when you caught yourself and you observe it, because that's the now manifesting, and as you observe it, you generate a metacognition. You free yourself from the A phenomenon response, triggered response, right? But look what that was. The damn plumber can't come out on Saturday. My sink can't work in my house of three sinks. That's ridiculous. At a, at a certain level, if we, we are in a warrior art, at a certain level, the warrior's going to go, whoa, what did you need metacognition for that? Holy cow, that's stupid. Save it for the real shit. When your enemy's coming at you and you just love them. An enemy, right? Jesus could have said, love thy plumber like thy neighbor, even when he cannot come to your house on Saturday. <laughs> no one would go, the profoundness, holy cow. I am going to love thy plumber. Like structurally, me right? Mechanically, it's the same. But at a practice level, it's not. Just like in your Aikido, when, when your force output is incapable of generating injury, then the quality and the authenticity of your spiritual maturity cannot be that great. Do, do you see that? You're, you, yes, structurally, yes. Structurally, you are doing the same stuff. Everyone gets afraid at whatever level they're at. But much of that fear is just pain body fiction. 
And there's an entire different level of practice when you're just wrestling with the pain body fiction, Azuke, versus, oh yeah, you're now, that, that cold feeling on your cheek, that's death kissing you. That level of ukemi is an entirely different beast. We, we do this, I, I see this in law enforcement. We, we, we have the issue of the A phenomena. So I'm going to put it in my terms. So you have an egocentricity is what happens. That's, there's an unconsciousness that comes about from an egocentricity which is manifested due to things like fear, some sort of dichotomy between preference and, and avoidance, right? So if I go into an active shooter incident and I do that, what you see is a performance degradation in decision-making and also in skill sets, associated skill sets. So accuracy, for example, marksmanship, goes way down. It's not, the average hit ratio is something like 30%. If you, if you take those people out to the square range and you calm them down, you might see even a 100% hit ratio in every one of those people. But the stress comes in and the awareness, which would be consciousness of the now, goes away because the fear generates an egocentricity and awareness, an unconsciousness, and therefore you start traveling back and forward in time. Your pain body and your historical fiction starts functioning, and you can't stay present, so you can't line up your sights and do the skills you know you need to do. So you miss. Because your concern is, right, is just you're a phenomenon. Don't die. Don't get hurt. You become concerned with that and you can't prioritize side, alarm, side alignment and trigger press. So a lot of law enforcement training is, will involve what we call stress inoculation. Right, that's the modern term for what Takuan is talking about with Fudoshin, the the immovable mind, not traveling, present awareness, technique can be manifested. So, as a trainer, and I see these these. Law enforcement officers come to a range line. I often don't even include stress because they're already stressed with just performing in front of their peers. And you're already starting to see performance degradation. 
So you already are doing stress inoculation. But from another point of view, right, that level of stress and the stress inoculation that you cultivated is nothing. It's like the plumber can't come on Saturday. We want you to have that AR or that AK being pointed at you and you don't flinch. Your mind doesn't go anywhere. It just runs the basics in exactly the same way as you're running a flat square range. That, that's Hudoshin. That's what Takuan's talking about. And you can't do that at only at a pra- with a practice that only operates intellectually. You can't do it because your intellect is part of the problem. For light, small things, your intellect and your internal dialogue, ah, it can function. You practice it enough, it'll function. But when you go deeper, you realize that your intellect is actually part of that historical fiction and therefore is entirely weaved through your pain body. And I, I'm not, I didn't invent this. I didn't discover it. This is ancient wisdom. And so practice always circumvented or negated or subverted that inner dialogue and everything that goes with it. And how did it do it? It comes and goes through your body. So if, if I'm selling tickets and I just look at your training, your practice from the point of view of your body, what did you do? What's your level of sacrifice? Well, I sacrificed... of this piece of paper that's already a fiction and then I sat in a very comfortable chair in a very controlled environment with nice lighting (laughs) right whoa you really went out for your that's tough holy cow yeah, inside your head, you're struggling. Right? God, I, I'm tired of suffering. I'm tired of my life being like, like this. Yeah, okay, I will admit, that can be very tough for some people. But you know what? Take that same person and come flying at their head with a sword, and they're going to go, can I please sit back in the theater? Because... Yes, the practice is the same in kind, but not in intensity. So we take the ancient teachings, but we take the ancient practices too. And the ancient practice is a body practice first and last. Anything that cannot manifest itself in the body, which would include anything that can only manifest itself in the mind, is an inauthentic practice.
And, and not, again, I'm not making that up. That's an ancient, that's, that's the ancient practice that goes with the ancient wisdom. Now, as a teacher, he's going to have way more impact because the contemporary landscape is still working with that body-mind division. So sitting in a theater and thinking about things is going to be within most people's level of understanding and experience of the world and comfort zone. Do you see that? But what's your choice between a field audience or authentic practice? Well, we made our decisions. So that the, there's where we kind of veer, but nothing we do here other than the fact that we want to see it at the body, that problem of authenticity. Outside of that, nothing we do here was contradicts what he's saying. Or, and so you, you're hearing, and I have, I have advocated through the years, go read the original text, study the original. Now be honest, how many have done this? No, it, it's difficult. Even reading The Unfettered Mind, that book, The Unfettered Mind, which is translated for modern people, it's impossible to read. If you were really honest, if we went through that and, and I was like my mentor in graduate school and he would go, what does that word mean? And I had to answer that question. If I did that with you, you wouldn't get, you would realize you probably got like five sentences on each page. That's how S specialized even the translation is. So you want to read The Unfettered Mind? Well, guess what? You got a hell of a lot more studying to do so you could learn the context that Takuan is unconsciously, in an unsaid way, addressing. It's, it's absolutely impossible. So these modern teachers, they come in handy and my only caveat is be careful because they're so handy that they won't expect anything of your body and therefore your achievement is really not that great. And when it's not that great, it's not that practical. I can't take it into hell. And that's not the way of the warrior. So it's, uh, it seems, okay, well, we're saying the same thing, but please remember, right? A candle is a light, but the light that shines in hell, it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing at all. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com, S-E-N-S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com, or find us at Facebook at Sentient Center, 
and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.